we, we've looked at some of the primary names of God. And here's one. I've, I've got to warn you, save this for a holiday weekend. It's, it's, it's a step up in difficulty. Um, this is one of those where you've been prepared. You had a look at some of the names. Let's go a little bit deeper on this. So if you, if you really prefer the easier to understand ones, come back uh, next week and we'll start at those again. We're going to fly over this at about 20,000 feet. We're not going to dig that deep. But we need to review the names of God that are considered primary in Scripture. You see, he did not reveal himself to us all at once. And that's a good thing. Every so often, uh, there's a commercial on right now about you know, absorb the great books of our time in 15 minutes. You know, and it names all of these books on business mainly and leadership and you know, seven highly effective things or whatever. And then it will say, in 15 minutes audio, you know, people, you can't. You really can't. It's kind of like you know, physics in a minute. Really? Stuff moves. That matters. It's, it's a bit more complex than that. And so God knew he couldn't just shove it all into our brains at once. And so he reveals it to us over time. We can only absorb whatever he gives us, and he only gives us what we can absorb. That helps us understand the next step, and then the next step. So we'll take a look today at the primary and compound names of God. We've looked at Elohim. Remember, when you see an I-M, you can pronounce it Elohim if you want to, that's fine. Uh, the Hebrews would pronounce it Im, because it's a plural, and it's either im or ot at the end of it. So that said, Elohim, we looked at him already. It means creator, perfect being, eternal one, supreme one. Now that name was used by pagans and still is. Uh, the name El is still used by Semitic languages in particular all over the world to mean whatever god that they are bowing to. And it, therefore, it has a lot of definitions according to whatever their culture gives to it. But limiting ourselves to the Bible and the way the Bible uses the word when referring to the one true God, we see strength, creativity, and power. This is the God, for example, of their name of God whenever he creates heaven and earth, when he makes the animals, when he makes man and woman. This is his name. Pagan gods were frequently distant, unfeeling, unconnected. Now, if you don't know much about that, all you need to know, uh, and I even hesitate to put it this way, uh, is the Marvel Comics and DC Comics universes. Because really, all they're doing is cribbing off of the old pagan gods. Whereas they have all this power, but they're disconnected from humanity, and they're not all that concerned about humanity. Uh, you... For example, we'll watch a Superman movie, and he's flying through buildings and uh, you know, destroying entire city blocks to save this you know, kitten. You know, I'm going, there were people in those places. And yet you never, you never, they never refer to that. These pagan gods were distant, unfeeling. In Scripture, Elohim is a close, personal, active presence. We need to remember this because sometimes it is so easy to come visit God on Sunday or visit God even in our quiet time during the day if you have that discipline or to visit God at special moments. All moments are holy. God is in all moments. Walk with God. Then the next word, Jehovah. Now here's where we get a bit tricky. 
Because the word Jehovah technically does not exist in the Bible. Much to the surprise of people who might be knocking on your door now that the weather is warmed to tell you the one true name of God. And I always say, that's, that's fascinating, that. Um, that's not even in the Bible. And they'll say, oh, yes, it is. And they'll show me in English. And I'll go, you know something? In Hebrew, the language God chose to use for the Old Testament, there are no J's or H's. Other than that, you nailed it. Um, it's, but it, it's the best we can do. It is, it's a cribbed together word. We made it up to express a name we find in Scripture, but that was considered so holy they wouldn't pronounce it. And so the pronunciation was lost. It is sometimes pronounced Yahweh. And that's a pretty good guess, frankly. But it might not be correct. The root of the name Jehovah or Yahweh means to become. Come into existence. Think of Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14 where when Moses says, I don't even know your name, God says, I am that I am. I'm the self-existent being. By that, he means he is not reliant upon anything or anyone else to survive or be. I, uh, I can remember when I was a kid that, uh, and the Bible school teacher had the best of intentions. She told us that we should sing and pray and behave during church because that makes God happy. I've learned since then we don't affect God's mood. We don't affect God's existence. All we do is get on board with righteousness or not. We need to walk with him. We need to be more like him. But it's not like, you know, God needs a boost today. Let's sing some songs and make him happy. No, no. Or he's mad at us. Let's sing some songs to get his wrath away. No, no. He is the self-existent being. He also, this name also indicates one who reveals, not just has revealed, but continues to reveal. I cannot stress this enough. I often hear God revealed himself to us in the pages of scripture, and basically they said, and then he stopped. No, he didn't. The Holy Spirit is not out of a job, and neither are we. God continues to reveal himself to us. We should continue to know more about God and whenever anybody comes up to you and says, but that's not the way our great-grandparents did it, we don't do anything the way our great-grandparents did it because we learned. We learned better than they did. Somebody gets the flu, we don't give them turpentine or fish oil. We know better now. We give them new quack remedies that don't work. <laughs> Point being... God's not done. He is still Yahweh. He is still Jehovah, the self-existent, revealing, covenant God. Now, when you see the word Lord in your English Bibles, and it's all capitalized, it's referring to Jehovah or Yahweh. It's referring to that word we don't know how to pronounce. Four, four consonants run together. It has a technical name, the tetragrammaton. It just means the four consonants that we don't know how to pronounce. But if you have the word Lord and just the L is capitalized, it is standing for Adonai. Adonai, the master of a slave, the one who is in charge, the leader, the head. When you recognize somebody as Adonai, 
you're saying they have the right to expect absolute obedience from you. In Breton, we've got some things called lords and ladies and earls and dukes and the like. And I had some Christians say, well, are you, are you allowed to refer to that person as, as Lord this or that? And I, I said, yeah. And they would say, but, but oh, there's only one Lord. And I said, in English, I get your point. But it's rather like when Jesus said, call no man your father. We just had Father's Day. How'd you deal with that? You understood you were referring to an earthly person, not to the heavenly father. We only have one heavenly father, and he is our only father spiritually. Lord on earth just means the guy that owns a territory or has some um, authority over a certain territory. When we speak of Lord with that capital L, we're speaking of Adonai. And he is our absolute master. The old preachers used to say, and they were right, that most people want Jesus as their savior, but not as their Lord. That is deep. And that is very troubling because it is true. Many want Jesus to save them, but do not want Jesus to call the shots in the way they live their life. Jesus himself said this was an issue in John chapter 13, 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. He's reminding him, you're calling me teacher and Lord, then behave like it. Live like it. Let's move on for now. And look at compound names for God. That's where we take these three names and we just rearrange them. Now, if you studied German, you know, and I didn't, by the way. I just, I talk to people who study that language. You know that they can make up a new word on the spot by combining 30 or 40 other words. Uh, have you seen these words? They are long. And by the time you get to the end of it, people are going, got it. But not me, because I really lost interest back here. But they, they reform these words and new compounds to make new things. Hebrews didn't quite do it that much, but they did rearrange words because even though it looks like it says the same thing, the arrangement indicates a different emphasis. So here are three. The name Adonai Jehovah or Adonai Yahweh refers to God as master, or I'm sorry, as um. The, he is lordship over all things. He is the Lord who revealed himself to us. And again, we'll look at that a bit more. So Adonai is put first. Adonai Elohim refers to God as master and creator. That's why we say we believe God's in charge. He is master of the creation. We believe this. We believe that even in times of storm. We believe that even in the dark times. We believe that even when we're ill, when things are going sideways. We know there's a war in the universe. We know not everything in the universe likes us. But we know that God is the master of all creation. He will determine how things end. Later, uh, rather, I'm sorry, earlier in Scripture, that's also used to indicate he is master over all the other gods. Lord of the gods. Now, later in scripture, we'd be told those other gods aren't really gods. They are demons that like to masquerade that they are gods. That's what Paul says. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. 
For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Daniel, in chapter 9, verse 3, would say, I set my face upon the Lord God. He is saying that his master, his Adonai, is in charge of all the false deities that claim they are God. This world, as we talked about earlier, if you remember, likes to set up all kinds of other gods and make them bigger than our God, but they're not. Our God is Adonai Elohim. And then the name Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, that's used in a specific way in Scripture. It indicates the relationship of God to man in creation and moral authority. Perhaps the best way I could put that is whenever Moses said, I don't speak well. Perhaps he was meaning I stutter. It could have meant a couple of other things. Whenever he said it, God responds, who made your tongue? When I was a little boy, they told us if you pray, God answered you. I took them literally, and I had my first faith, faith crisis. Because I was praying, you know, I wanted to grow up big, strong, lots of muscles, and I'm, I'm basically zero for about 20 on that thing right now. Uh, and I wanted a deep, I wanted an FM announcer's voice. I wanted the voice of God on the Jewel Miller film strips, if that helps anybody. I know I've just left out a big bunch of people, but let's just put it this way. Whatever you, amount, you imagine God's voice is, deep, resonant, with a bit of an echo, a little reverb dialed in, that's what I wanted. I, you may not have noticed, but I didn't get that. I, I sound like Mickey Mouse on helium. <laughs> not proud of it, but there it is. More Euro Disney than Disneyland. But anyway, the, um, I can't not look at God and say, you gave me the wrong body and you gave me the wrong voice. I can't serve you the way you want. No, who gave you that body? Who made this? You're going to criticize this? As he did to Job, he comes to Job and says, you answer me if you can have any answers. This is what I made. Can you do that? He is Yahweh Elohim. A case can be made that the, the sum total of names of gods are Adonai, Jehovah, Yahweh, Elohim. And all the rest are not names of God, but titles of God that we've looked at, like Lord of Hosts or God Almighty. The Jewish people would make these other titles up because they, they considered God so holy that they were concerned about misusing his name. How I wish we had a bit more of that in our society. When everything is, oh my God, or Jesus Christ, or whenever they're not talking to God and Jesus, but they're throwing his name out there as, a, as an exclamation point, as an underlining, as a sign of surprise or disgust or anger. No, maybe we would, should learn something from them. They spoke so highly of God, they were afraid to misspeak his name. They also would not speak the names of demons because they believed that using lips that were made by God to say the names of demons was blasphemy. Therefore, when you read their literature, something which is stark among the Jews 
is how few times demons are named. In all the other literature of, of the Middle East, their, their literature is full of the name of de- um, uh, names of demons and incantations and the like. And you come to the Jewish people, there are just a few. There's, there's Dagon, there's Rehoboth, there are a few, but not many. Because they believed we, we don't say those things. Do you remember whenever your grandparents told you that? We don't say those words. We keep those words off of our lips. There's a reason for that. Just to be very blunt with you, our kids have been dismissed. I know some kids stay behind. Um, When I was a boy in Breton, if in a movie you heard God damn or any form of the F word, we knew it was an American movie. Because in American movies, they curse. That's just when I was a boy. Now you go over to Breton, and every other word is the F word. They learned, and they have taken it to a whole new level. And I'm looking at that going, Christians need to remember, we don't soil our lips. These lips are for God. We are to live, remember, Peter says, if anyone speaks, let them speak as the oracles of God. We're very careful. And by the way, speaking includes what you type on social media. Even the initials and what they mean. Um, my, my mother-in-law is a dear, sweet, wonderful woman, a woman of God. But she, like several others that I've heard since, now that I've told the story, misunderstood some of the initials and thought LOL meant lots of love. So when someone would write, they have cancer, you know, I'm sorry you have cancer, LOL. Or, sorry, your dog died, LOL. This went on for years before, before we found out and told her, no, that's not what it means. That was, um, that was a hard day for her, but I quite enjoyed it. Uh, I got a lot of fun out of that day. The name Yahweh, they would use in common personal greetings, for, and they would for years say, the Lord be with you, or the Lord bless you. But after the time of Ruth, there was so much idolatry in the land, the teachers of the law said his real name is also Yahweh, not just Jehovah, but his real name is Yahweh. It alone should be reserved to speak to God, not to each other. And it dropped out of common usage. It was only used for religious purposes. Other names, like Adonai and Elohim, were sometimes used for other gods, but the name Yahweh, that was kept quiet. Again, reserved. They worship the one true God, they were told. Therefore, do not use his name unless you are worshiping the one true God. Eventually, only the priest in the temple used the name at all. It was considered too holy for anybody else to use it. In the temple, the priest would say Yahweh, but when they walked outside, they would say Adonai, because out there you could use another more common name for God. How important was the name Yahweh? And again, please, I don't have to always say it, but Yahweh means Jehovah as well. The high priest would say the name ten times on the Day of Atonement. What you on your calendars will see is Yom Kippur. Ten times, so that the people would not forget how it was pronounced. Older teachers would repeat the name to their disciples once, during every sabbatical year, every seventh year. Other times, 
they said, never say it. You may say it only inside, not outside. Exodus 3, 15. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you will call me from generation to generation. And they took him at his word, but they went so far as they forgot the name. I won't go into all the politics at the time because they're very complex. Let's just say that 200 years before the birth of Jesus, the Jews rose up against the Greeks. They threw off their Greek overlords for a while. Some Jews joined the Greeks, if not on the battlefield, at least on the field of culture. They wanted to be, they wanted to be looked at like an educated, smart, urbane, chic Greek person. We call those Hellenistic Jews. And all during this time, all these 200 years up to Jesus, the name Yahweh was not spoken or written. Later, some rabbis said the name could be used in formal notes and documents, but that lasted only for a short time. They began to fear that somebody might pick up a piece of paper that had the name of God on it, the true name, and mistreat the paper, and that would be blasphemy to them. You see, they were confusing a piece of paper with our God. But I, I have to admire the respect that they were showing. And around that time, the pronunciation of the word we pronounce Yahweh or Jehovah was lost forever. We will not know that sound, that name, until we see God himself. By the way, one of the reasons it sped up that disappearance was the Samaritans would say it. The Jews would not. Therefore, the Jews said that's a line of demarcation. If you say it, you are not one of God's people. And... People, when you shove like that, you split things, and they did split things. There aren't very many Samaritans left in the world. There still are some, by the way, but not many. Some Jews even tried to make pronouncing the name of God a capital offense, but they didn't have the political power to pull that off. It was to the point where when a scribe came to the name, that four-consonant name, he would put the quill down, wash, pray, put on new clothes, pick up a new quill that had never written, write the name of God, and then he would break the quill so that that quill could never write anything unworthy of God. What would it be like if we walked through our houses and got rid of everything unworthy of God? What would it be like if we went through our internet history and got rid of everything unworthy of God? What if we chose to not let the body God created to be unworthy of the name of God. How would our world be different? Is there any way it would be worse? I can't see a thing. Would it be better? I think in every possible way it would be better. By the way, I know that's a super high standard, so let me tell you, make sure you understand, I don't always meet that standard either. That's why we need each other, to call each other up to a higher standard. So let's talk about us. If I could ask one thing from you this week, it would be to read and absorb the passage, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Do I have a slide for that? I do, yeah. So that you can write it down or take a picture of it, uh, or just with your eidetic memory, take a picture. And, yeah, it's right in there. Somebody asked me once if I had 
a photographic memory. And I said, yes, yes, but somebody keeps opening the door to the dark room and um, wiping out big sections. Or I'm out of film, one of the two. Um, I know that's a long passage. It won't take you that long to read it, but it will take you a while to absorb it. We are ministers of the Most High God now. If you were baptized into Christ, you were ordained a priest of the living God. Therefore, let your words reflect your job. While we are independent in many ways, and while I like to kid about it, I'm glad you are. And my wife kids me that I always walk about with a sword and a tube of blue paint in my pocket, ready to yell freedom at any time. And if you've not seen Braveheart, you don't really understand that illusion. But that's really pretty much where I am, yeah? If you haven't seen the movie, it's really great, except for the last 15 minutes. Just turn it off. You don't need it. <laughs> Assume the good guy wins. Oh, spoiler alert. Yeah, it happened 800 years ago, uh, if you didn't know about it. Anyway, reading this passage should humble our hearts and steal our minds to do better because we have, verse 4, verse 7 there, this treasure in earthen vessels, jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are weak in body, in spirit, in mind sometimes, and yet we can do great things by allowing the God who made us to work through us and speak through us, allowing Jehovah Elohim, Jehovah Adonai, to walk through us. We are bearers of the name of God. And as we hit the home stretch of this lesson, we're going to take a look at three passages very quickly. Jeremiah 31, 33 is the first one. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. And then Romans 2, 14 through 15. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times defending them. Where is the word of God? He lives in here. He's written here. He changes everything. And then the next passage, James chapter 1. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, perfect law that gives freedom, always remember that, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. Get it inside you, and then live it. Do it in the name of Jesus, understanding how holy this is. Not only can we say the name of God, we have his name written on us, for we are bearers of the name. We are his priest. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. You are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Not you might be one day, work at it, and this may happen to you. No, you are now a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. He likes you best that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You're here to speak for him. Would you stand, please? Look at Luke chapter 12. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. The scene on the Day of Judgment is given to us in bits and pieces. But there seems to be a point, and, and, unless this is metaphor, we think there's a point where God looks at us and then looks at Jesus and says, do you know them? If Jesus says, yes, we are saved. And Jesus here says, if you tell people on earth, you know me, I will tell my Father, I know you. I would say, brothers and sisters, I think we got the better end of this deal. So let us live our lives professing Christ. Let us consider him holy and our bodies and our lives holy because he made us to speak for him. Let us be those who speak for Christ. And the whole church says, amen. amen.